Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to our very first episode of 2020. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast, and we're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, it's our first episode of 2020, a new decade, and a decade that promises all kinds of opportunities, I think, for Canadian tennis. Yeah, here we are coming off the most historic season uh, in Canadian tennis uh, history of course, with Bianca Andreescu, our first Grand Slam singles champion. And the level of excitement for the sport really has never been greater in Canada. And uh, for our first uh, episode, our first guest um, for 2020, we're very pleased to uh, bring him back on. We did have him last season, uh, British tennis journalist George Belshaw. George, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the program and on the, the first episode of 2020. No problem, guys. Pleasure to be here. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll start. I, I know that uh, the tennis off season is is a short one. Did you get much time off uh, between writing tennis pieces uh, between 2019 and the new year? Yeah, I had a, a pretty much a good uh, social media detox for about three or four weeks, which was quite nice. Um, I, <laughs> the start of this year has been uh, a flurry of reminding me why it's quite good to take a step away from Twitter sometimes. Um but yeah, no, I got a bit of rest and I think it's much needed because I think this season is going to be even more crazy than the last one. A lot of exciting guys coming through, hopefully a slight changing of the guard, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. Um, but yeah, pretty excited and ready to get going. It's funny, George, that's exactly how I feel. Like I missed the tennis, but I didn't miss the social media whatsoever. <laughs> And uh, and I, I I do enjoy you know many of the people that we engage with there, but all all the other stuff and just the the constant nature of it, like you can never put it down when the season is on. It's a it's a twenty four seven almost commitment, isn't it? It really is. I mean, this ATP Cup's a great example. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much like fifteen hour days of tennis, you know, in three different cities. It's just it's nonstop. It's, it's impossible to kind of cover the whole thing properly and you just constantly feel like you're playing catch-up. Um, that was a similar problem with the Davis Cup, obviously, at the end of last year. They feel the need to kind of put two big groups matches on one court every day and you're seeing just ridiculous hours of tennis, which I think is something that needs addressing in team competitions in general. But yeah, it's just uh, certainly added an extra kind of full-on nature to the calendar and tennis was already pretty full-on before the introduction of these two competitions so good times all around for those working in it and then you've got canadian podcasters keeping you up late at night until almost <laughs> mid midnight local time too right <laughs> absolutely you guys are killing me but we'll get there we'll pay you back one day you can give us an early wake up sometime okay <laughs> sounds good uh, well, wh why don't we actually, before we get to the kind of full landscape of a, a season preview, really on the men's side, uh, mentioning ATP Cup, because it is this brand new event kicking off a brand new uh, decade. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were watching Davis Cup tennis. George, what are your early impressions of, of the event so far? I like it. Um, I think the, the really good thing about both Davis Cup 2.0 as we may call it, and this new ATP Cup, um, is every match, to me, feels bet between the top guys because they're playing as kind of top seeds. It almost feels like they're guaranteed a lot tougher matches quicker. Um, and we saw that with kind of Novak Djokovic's first match with Kevin Anderson. Okay, Anderson, you know, his ranking's down at the minute, but he's playing back some of the tennis like we were seeing when he was kind of reaching Grand Slam finals. And that, that was a really intense first match we had uh Pass and Kyrgios today um you know okay Zverev's not playing that well but he on paper he should be playing good matches against Shapovalov who obviously played another really good match today also playing Pass. so I think from a kind of fan perspective you feel like you're getting really high profile first round matches at a slam which is kind of rare in most ATP events where these guys are kind of kept apart um so I, I quite like that. And I think it's also quite good for the players to kind of really have to be locked in at the start of the season, playing tough matches. Um, as I kind of mentioned before, I, I, I don't like having two lots of matches in one stadium on one day. I just think it's too long for everyone involved. You know, you're seeing a lot of empty seats. One of Britain's matches, I think, finished at quarter to three in the morning um, against Bulgaria, which 
was actually quite good for British fans at home because it was kind of coming back towards kind of sane British time. But for the guys out there, um, it's just never a great look when you've got kind of stadiums that aren't full at two in the morning. And it's not ideal for players to be playing that late either. So I, I do think there are kind of fundamental issues with these tournaments, but I think it was a pretty slick production value. Um, this is speaking just from watching in the UK. Um, it's been covered pretty well here. Players seem to be enjoying it. Um, so I like it, yeah. I'm going to start off by saying personally, I love international competition regardless of the sport. We just wrapped up, you know, for those of us here in Canada, the hockey fans anyways, the World Junior Tournament, where, got to say, Canada did walk away with the gold medal. <clears throat> um, but... Uh, <laughs> But for me, this feels like like deja vu. Like, weren't we just sitting here talking about a big international competition just a few weeks ago? And so I'm just wondering, do we need both Davis Cup and ATP Cup in a calendar season that's already so long and grueling on these players? Can both of these events survive moving forward? I mean, this is the kind of golden question. I'd say the thing the ATP Cup has going for it, regardless of the Davis Cup, is that it's guaranteeing you know, top players, three matches before a Grand Slam. You know, if you're playing in an ATP group, you're guaranteed to play three different nations, meaning you get three singles matches with a day off in between each. So I think from a player's perspective, it works pretty well. You know, for example, British number three, Kyle Edmonds this week, who's not playing at the ATP Cup. He's gone to Doha. He's lost in the first round. That, that's his one match before the Australian Open unless he goes and plays another tournament. So, you know, Dan Evans, British number one, has got three matches under his belt, even though he lost his first singles match here. So I think from a player's perspective, this actually works better as a warm-up kind of event for Australia than the previous stuff did because it gives every player involved the chance to play a few more matches. I I totally agree with you on the point about the Davis Cup and this being six weeks apart. I mean, it it is an utter farce. There's no no getting away from that. Um, Are these two competitions different enough to survive? I mean, it's a really, really good question. I think think Davis Cup's the one that's going to miss out for me in the long run because this just has, as I was just kind of saying there, I just think it has such a good place in the calendar in terms of being functional towards the Australian Open. Uh, the only way I see Davis Cup kind of really surviving is if it goes head-to-head with the Labour Cup. And, and that that's has become an incredibly popular competition that's brought a kind of unique way of bringing the top stars on the same team, which is very different fundamentally from this ATP Cup thing of just having each nation. So, yeah, I've, the Davis Cup needs to move if it's going to survive in the long run. Um, I suspect it will carry on like this for a couple of years but I I really hope it would be lovely if everyone in tennis came together for once but I'm not holding my breath to be honest Uh, You you hit on a great point though that that it is a very functional uh, good tournament for players leading into the first Grand Slam of the season because that first Grand Slam in Australia down under hits us so soon in the calendar year and you're right if you're going to play the 250 in Doha you lose your first match how are you really feeling about your chances uh, in the first Grand Slam of the season and uh, for fans of you know different tennis nations here in Canada it, it's sort of a rare event apart from Davis Cup where you can be watching day in day out we've already seen three Denis Shapovalov singles matches and three Felix OJ Aliassi matches so that that certainly has a benefit to it uh, we'll, we'll talk I guess more in detail on, on players and on countries and start right there because uh, we were talking about Denis Shapovalov end of 2019 just finishing on on such a fantastic high he won his first tournament in Stockholm he got to that Paris Masters final and uh, he was obviously a huge part of Canada reaching their first ever Davis Cup final. And uh, what we've seen, I, I think, in this first week at the ATP Cup has, has been even a step forward from that. He beat Stefano Tsitsipas, a uh, big win against Sasha Zverev. Where do you think a, a player like Dennis right now is maybe fitting into our, our ATP landscape? Because uh, to me, it looks like a guy who's you know barreling towards the top 10 right now. Yes, so you'll be pleased to hear I have... Dennis among my top 10 for the end of 2020. Well, that's good because otherwise we're going to end the call right now, George. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I think he's got a pretty good shot of getting top 10 pretty quickly. I mean, um, 
let's be honest, the first half of his season last year, there was the odd high, but a lot of it was pretty, I wouldn't go so far as poor, but it was not as good as we were kind of hoping it could be for Dennis. It looked like he was going to be slipping outside of those kind of seeded places in the slams. And then obviously had that great run in Paris in the back end of last year. Um, also did pretty well in the Davis Cup. Uh, won his first title in Stockholm, of course. Um, so it, it felt like he got a real kind of string of momentum. Um, but Dennis is a guy I love watching. He's up the male players on the tour because he's just got that kind of unique left-handed, one-handed backhand. The way he jumps into that shot, I think it's just such a, a cool shot. Um, just got a bit of a cool look about him. Kind of a, obviously, it's, he's changed his hair, but he kind of came on the scene with this backwards cap, long blonde hair. Um, so I think I think he's got everything. He's got that star quality, and he's just a really, really nice guy every time I've dealt with him. Um, so I, I do look out for his results, and he is someone I think can push on. I, I, I don't see him going higher than top 10 next year. Massively, as in by top five, I'm saying. I think top five is going to be a really, really tough gig to break in at this stage for Dennis. But he's such a grounded guy who just seems so happy to kind of take next step, know he's on his own journey and not look too far ahead. And I think he, you know, he's that modesty and humble work ethic he's got will see him get to where he wants to be in the end. So I think getting into the top 10 is the first step. Staying there is always the hard bit. But if he ends 2020 in the top 10, as I think he will, then that should be seen as a really, really good step forward. And from there, you know, that's the base to then jump off and look at, right, how do I get to closer to these guys in the top five? And I think Dennis will get there eventually. And anyone who does get impatient with the progress of some of these young players, I think we just have to put in perspective. I mean, Dennis is only 20 years old and he's making his career high ranking right now, number 14 in the world. Yep. Felix, you know, again, another Canadian, Felix Olicelli, he's only 19 years old. These guys are going to have ups and downs, and that's totally okay because, uh, you know, there's many players who weren't in the top 10 or, or winning slams necessarily at that stage of things, and we're still waiting, obviously. You know, we talk about top 10. Well, what about top five? How hard it is to get in there because the big three are still having a stranglehold on, on things. And as we begin 2020, again, the question, I feel like we've asked this question for how many seasons now coming into it is, when are these guys going to allow a little gap for someone else to come in at the slam level? Uh, is this the biggest storyline, George, that, uh, that, that you see, or certainly one of the biggest storylines as, as this year begins? Yeah, I think, <laughs> again, you're absolutely right. This has been the storyline really for the last three years, I suppose now at least, where we've just been kind of talking about who's going to make that next step. But I, I do genuinely feel this year that at least one guy is ready to do it. And that guy for me is uh, Daniel Medvedev. I think he showed in the American hardcore summer last year the level of consistency required to, you know, break that stranglehold in terms of ranking points. But more importantly, he went into a Grand Slam final. He went two sets down against Nadal a player who he'd not beaten before that point, a player who he'd never figured out. And then he just started to work him out. And I just think, okay, he lost that match, but it, the way he was playing in that, those last three sets just showed the level of confidence, the ability he's got. He feels like he's playing at his own pace the whole time. He kind of plays such a deep shot. He seems to slow everything down, moves like his movement was always criticized from by coaches who I spoke to about his game when he was younger, they were saying that was kind of going to hold him back because it was kind of a bit of an awkward movement. But I think he's improved so much in that regard. Um, as a lot of the big guys have in the last few years, you know, a lot of coaches, when you're younger, always tell you to take lots of little steps when you're going up to the ball. And you've, you've heard guys like Kevin Anderson kind of refute this theory for guys who are above six foot five, six foot six, you know, they're learning how to move better and Medvedev just looks more and more natural around the court. It looks like he covers it so easily. He's got such an array of bizarre shots, bizarre tactics. He, he, he just seems to get in opponents' heads and I think he's someone who doesn't seem afraid and, uh, you know, okay, at the end of last year, it seems maybe he was a bit tired, a bit fatigued. He had played an awful lot of tennis and he maybe ended it on a bit of a disappointing note at the CB Finals. But he's come back at the ATP Cup this year, started very strong, won all three of his matches, got Russia through to the quarterfinals. Russia, I think, are going to be serious threats 
at the ACB Cup this week, I kind of think they'll get to the final. Um, and Medvedev, you know, he's the sort of guy who can trouble Novak and Rafa, which you can't really say too much about a lot of other guys when those guys are on it. So I think he's the big one to watch out for. And then obviously Dominic Team at the French Open is going to be a major threat again. I think Roland Garros, we just need a situation, to be honest, where... He, Nadal maybe has to play team in the semi-finals and then has to go through Djokovic to win it. I think that's the only way Nadal wouldn't win it. Um, but team is certainly growing in that regard every year. And I thought he played a great first two sets um, at the French Open final this year. Hopefully he can take that ex- extra step as well. Um, and behind them, Pass, I suppose, is the other one who's kind of knocking on the door. But I, I think this year will still be too early for him. But he's he's the next one behind them for me. George, did you just call a Djokovic win at the French Open if Nadal and uh, team face off in the semifinals? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I'm saying that's the only way I could see Nadal not winning. Because that, that, could you know, really, that could really mend the fences between you and some of the Djokovic fans that seem to get at <laughs> you on, on Twitter, eh? <laughs> Well, I, I, we we have a very up and down relationship, I think, um, <laughs> as as I seem to have with every fan base, which I, which I like to think is a sign of me being fair across the board. I, I like to think I praise these guys when they deserve it, and I'm happy to call it call them out when they uh, maybe don't behave so well. Although I, I have to say, on this occasion, um, I, I don't think I really said anything bad about Djokovic. <laughs> I just kind of said what he did, but it seemed to you know. Demand me being burned at the stake, which was a, a lovely re-welcoming to Twitter for 2020. <laughs> uh, that uh, that is often the case with uh, the big three fan base uh, of, of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. They can love you and really turn on you in an instant. That's just uh, the reality. Uh, but yeah, you hit on the three names that I certainly have listed of uh, you know sneaking in and maybe getting a Grand Slam in 2020: Medvedev, Team, and Tsitsipas. My order for it is actually Team Medvedev and then Tsitsipas. Uh, but you know, while, while we're talking, uh, I guess, about ruffling ruffling feathers and, and we watched a, a fascinating match between Nick Kyrgios and Stefano Tsitsipas uh, at the ATP Cup, I thought the level was unbelievably high. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas had kind of a, a meltdown, you know, smashing his racket after the first set near his father, getting a lecture from his mom. That was a rare occurrence. I know you wrote about that. Uh, I actually want to ask you about Nick Kyrgios, though, because, you know, I, I've watched many of his press conferences in the past and, and I know you've you've been there asking him questions you've sort of ruffled his feathers and and bothered him um but then you know we watch these tennis matches and and he seems to just thrive in these team events and produce such such high quality tennis what do you think kind of makes him tick and and is there any reason to believe maybe in in 2020 we're going to see a more consistent version of that nick curios on the court I mean, this is another question we ask at the start of every single season, isn't it? I mean, is is this the year Kyrgios kind of gets his head together? Um, I, the thing is with him, I, I think I read a stat earlier, and I didn't actually verify this, um, but I think I saw someone write earlier that something like 40% of his ATP wins have come against top 10 players. Yes, I saw that, yes. Which, I mean, that really took me aback, but also just didn't surprise me because that just sums up exactly what he's like. You know, this is a guy, we're talking about team events, we're talking about playing the top guys. He he loves to entertain. He loves the big crowd. He loves it when they're into it. You know, the tournament last year that really stands out for me was Acapulco. I mean, that, that was an absolutely crazy tournament. You know, the crowd were turning on him sometimes. They were in love with him at other points very similar to how Medvedev was kind of thriving off the energy of the U.S. Open crowd. But, you know, if, if Kyrgios feels like the crowd's into it, if he feels like it's a big event, if he feels like it's a big match, he's up for it. He's bang up for it. And when his head's in that sort of space and he's enjoying the entertainment process, um, he's a threat. He can beat anyone. I mean, I don't think there is a more talented guy on the tour. Just naturally watching him, he's so so lazy in so many regards, but his hands are just so good. Um, some of the drop shots he was hitting against Sissi Pass were just out of this world, and yet he's still booming down 140-mile-an-hour service. You know, that combination of power and ability to just stop the ball out of nowhere, disguise, all these trick shots, you know. He, he's such an entertaining player to watch, and he's such an engaging character. And I think, you know, yes, 
you know, me and him have had our little run-ins, okay, in press conferences or whatever. But I, I do genuinely think, and I've been told behind the scenes, he's a really nice guy. And you can tell by the way he was talking about, you know, the Australian bushfires, which is obviously a horrific thing that's going on out there at the minute. And you can see how much it means to him, that sort of thing. He's actually quite a sensitive guy. Um, and it would just be lovely in many ways to have this figure who gets so many people into tennis. You know, sometimes we get accused of writing about him too much. Um, but he's such a compelling character. And if you ask anyone who, certainly in Britain, who I know, who who they love to watch or who they find interesting or who they have an opinion on in tennis, Kyrgios is always one of the first names mentioned. He He's just got this star quality of, you know, this bad boy of tennis, but it, it means nothing in the long run if he doesn't start winning things at the same time. And he, he's more than capable of doing that. At slam level, it may come down to fitness. You know, he, he looked like he was still flagging a little bit against Sissipas in the end today. Can you imagine him having to go through another two sets of that? I, I don't think he wins that match if it goes much longer. Um, but I, I hope I hope he does have a great season. And I have, for all my sins, put him in as a wild card for my top ten at the end of this season just because I was lacking another name. And I... No, I think it might be wishful thinking on my part, but that, that's my wish for 2020. <laughs> could, could go one way or the other. You never really know with him, but he certainly, as you mentioned, has that ability to draw people to the sport, which is always a good thing for tennis. And uh, he does also have many redeeming qualities, uh, as you mentioned as well. Uh, George, we don't want to keep you much longer because it is getting late for you over there, and we, we want your best uh, tonight on the show, which we've had so far. Thank you so much. But before we let you go, I just quickly, if you can uh, just mention... What is the overall sort of vibe on Andy Murray over there as uh, as the season begins? He's not playing right now, but hopes to be healthy and ready to go post-Aussie Open, I believe. Uh, what, what's the sentiment among uh, you and your colleagues in the UK? Yeah, I mean, Australia was obviously a bit disappointing in many ways. I think we were all kind of gearing up for this um, emotional return to Melbourne. Obviously, it felt like he was kind of retired on court last year in that slightly awkward moment where there was that on-screen video and Mark Petchy kind of interviewing him, uh, which was kind of alluded to in his new documentary. Um, so that's kind of been taken away from him. But I, I think in many ways it might suit him a bit better to keep going under the radar for a bit. Um, you know, I think he'll get some matches under his belt. Montpellier is one of his first stops uh, and he's scheduled for Rotterdam as well. Um, keep ticking along with the best of three sets. It, it probably would have been a stretch to see him jump straight back into best of five singles. Um, one, I mean, you have a lot of conversations with different coaches about this, about where they think their level are. Um, and at the end of last season, one coach I spoke to was adamant that Murray would end the season in the top five if he stayed fit the whole season, which I thought was a pretty bold shout. Um, I personally think he can still get to the top 30 even without Australia. Um, there are talks that he might not bother with the clay season full stop or at least not bother with uh, Roland Garros, which again, you know, if you're taking out the points for Grand Slams at two of the events, that's going to make your ranking climb back a bit tougher. Um, but I, I, I think he can come in top 30 of this season. and I think that would be a good season for him. Um, and once he's back among the seeds at the slams, you never know. But I, I think there's quite optimism he'll get back towards the top. And hopefully this little uh, pelvic injury, injury won't hold him back too much. Last uh, portion before we let you go, George. Uh, we're going to give you just a handful, five rapid-fire questions. All you have to say, yes or no, if you are up for that. Okay. And, yeah, no, and no sitting on the fence. Pick up, pick one or the other. First. Come on. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Okay, first one. Will Roger Federer win another Grand Slam before his career is up? No. Okay. Will Serena Williams break Margaret Court's all-time slams record? No. Will she tie it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm desperate to sit on that fence now. Um, uh, no. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, this 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 is a good one. Will Bianca Andreescu win a Grand Slam this year? 
Yes, at least one. Wow. Oh, you're, we, you're really endearing yourself to we our like Canadian listeners. Yeah, I, I, I know my audience here. <laughs> He's coming back again, folks. Maybe next week even. <laughs> oh, we, uh, we discussed it in detail, but uh, yes or no, does someone outside the big three win a slam in 2020? Yes, Medvedev, either Australia or U.S. Okay. And uh, can't, well, I mean, you kind of already answered this, but you were, you're on the fence. Will Canada have a men's player inside the top 10 this season, yes or no? Yes, two. Two? Who's the second one? Yeah. Felix, let's go. Okay. You got it. Let's I was going to say maybe a healthy Milos if he can stay fit this year, but uh, yeah. well, that's a challenge. Not, yeah, I mean, if he, again, big if, but obviously he's good enough to be up there if he, if he can get fit, but I, I think... I think Felix keeps improving at the rate he he is. There's there's a decent chance for him to join Dennis in there. I think, although having seen guys like Kevin Anderson star this season, I'm starting to regret not backing him for a big comeback. But yeah, <laughs> let's see how we go. Yes, let's uh, see. George, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us on the first episode of 2020. And uh, I'll let listeners know they can find your work on Twitter at BellshotGeorge. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again on Matchpoint Canada and uh, get some sleep. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. That was uh, George Belshaw, tennis journalist for Metro UK. And as I said, you can find him on Twitter at Belshaw George. Okay, I want to know your answers to these rapid-fire questions. Let's let's trade off here and see oh, what boy. we come up with. Because these are fun. I like them. Yeah, okay. And we don't have to get in too much detail. But So what do you think? Federer, another Grand Slam before he's done? Yes. See, I don't think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna spot him one more one more Wimbledon. I'm too kind. And it's certainly possible. Don't get me wrong. I mean, look how close he came last year. Right. I just think it's getting tougher and tougher, and the younger guys Keep, are getting better and oh, better. Oh, absolutely. Keep in mind, I it has to happen this year. Sure. And I, I would say maybe the same for Serena as well. That wasn't one of our questions. Well, it was actually one of our questions. She's got to win at least one this year if she's going to have a hope Definitely. of breaking Margaret Court's record. Uh, I I think tying it. I would say yes. Yes to tying it and, uh, and, and breaking it. I, I'm going to go with yes. If I had to pick one or the other, I would say yes because she's come so close. And when you think of when she came back from her mat leave, how she made those finals right off the bat. And, and I didn't expect that to happen so quickly. Um, and, and again, last year, again, she's right in the mix. Um, yeah, I think she, she could certainly do it. But yeah. it's got to be this year. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm pegging, for, pegging her for tying the record. She gets one more Grand Slam. I think it comes at the U.S. Open. So, Bianca Andreescu, is she winning another Grand Slam this year? You know, I'm going to go against the grain. Okay. And I'm going to say no, and that's not a knock of what she's capable of doing or her potential. And it's not to say I, I don't think it could happen, but I just think the WTA is so deep, and she's going to be dealing with so many things this year that she didn't have to deal with a year ago in terms of not flying under the radar. Yeah. There'll be no Indian Wells where people aren't really sure who she is. Pl- players have faced her now. They've certainly seen the video uh, she's got a target on her back, and so that changes the the playing field so much as well. The WTA field is just so deep. There's so many players. We've seen almost a, a revolving door. How many back-to-back or or two-time slam champs have we seen the last few years? Not many outside of, what, Osaka and, and Halep mm-hmm. uh, that come to mind the last couple of years. And and her health, unfortunately, I just I just don't feel super confident that she can stay healthy enough to necessarily, I mean, even right now, she's not quite ready to start the season. So, you know, I'm knocking on wood and I'm hoping for the best. And I think she's, when healthy, going to be certainly in the mix, but it's going to be different for her than it was last year, for sure, where she came out of seemingly, for many, out of nowhere. Yeah, and it certainly uh, changes my perspective on her chances that she's not healthy enough well enough to be playing in Auckland at the ASB Classic, where she was a finalist last year, and that kick-started her 2019. That has, you know, the concern level raised just a little bit about her chances to really, you know, win seven matches at the Australian Open is a very, very tall order. Okay, does someone outside the big three win a slam in 2020? Absolutely. You're, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's really? gonna, yes. Okay. I don't often make bold. I don't know if that's a bold prediction or not, but I'm usually fairly conservative for fear of, embarrassing myself and putting my foot in my mouth but yes i think this year we've got some guys that are that are making big improvements medvedev as george belshaw mentioned uh team always again a threat at the 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 french and proven he can win on hard courts too yeah yeah i think this year we're going to get someone outside the big three winning a slam yeah i think we get one and uh i think 
you know, Rafa has enough French Opens. He can donate one to Dominic Team finally, right? 12 is enough. Uh, Canada will have how many men's players inside the top 10? Zero, one, two? One, uh, I think, is probably the, the most level-headed guess. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this, though. If they have two... I think it will be Dennis and Milos. Wow. Okay. Uh, so Milos has to be healthy for that to happen, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when he is, he's still capable of some great tennis, as we saw at the Aussie Open to start last season. Yep. Um, I, I just feel with Felix, we might get a little bit of that sophomore slump. Uh, I don't know if that's just a hockey term or not, but that second year sort of dip. Uh, even Dennis sort of struggled a little bit in his second full season, that's I feel true. like. And I think there might be some some growing pains. We've seen Felix towards the tail end of last year and even starting out of the gates now, not really playing, you know, peak uh, Felix tennis. Yep. And uh, and so I think that uh, he will make the top 10, but I don't see it happening in, in 2020. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm projecting one inside the top 10. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I went a very bold top five prediction for the end of 2020 and placed Dennis Shapovalov fifth. Uh, you know, that's... You're kind of uh, hoping very much rather than predicting, but I do think Denis Shapovalov finishes inside the top 10 this season. Something new we're going to be doing this year is inviting our listeners to call in from time to time to engage with us and share your passion for the sport of tennis. Being that this is our first episode of 2020, we're looking for you to tell us your hopes and predictions for Canadian tennis in the new year. I've personally always wanted to hear someone say long-time listener, first-time caller. I don't know if we'll get that tonight or not, but very happy to have some people that we've interacted with on Twitter calling in. And the first uh, caller we have is a super Canadian tennis fan. I've met her before at the Rogers Cup. Her name is Christy Lee. And Christy, tell us your thoughts for the coming season. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if I feel like any of my predictions are... Um, absolutely original, but I think my my main big one is that I do think a Canadian tennis player will win a medal at the Olympics in 2020 in Tokyo. Oh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. We haven't even talked yet about the the upcoming Olympics. No, that's right. Oh, yeah. Have you got yeah, someone I in mind? Think... Like, if you had to put like a wh- uh, two or three names there, that uh... if I had to put money on it, and I don't even know if they're going to pair up, but I think the possibility of Vashik and Gabby Dabrowski playing mixed would be pretty amazing. I know uh, in Rio four years ago, um, the American team, Jack Sock and Bethany Matic Sands won. And I just feel like this combo, the Canadian combo, is just as good, if not better. So I have no idea if they're going to play. Obviously, Vashik, if he plays doubles with anyone, also has a great chance. He played in the bronze medal match with Daniel Nestor. Unfortunately, they lost. But I just feel like there's lots of young talent, Dennis, Felix, who knows? They all played really well um, together in Davis Cup finals. So I feel like we have a good chance. Absolutely. I like that one. Um, any, we got to talk about the Olympics too at some point. Eh? Yeah, I agree. Uh, another international <laughs> competition this year as if there aren't enough already, but that's uh, a pretty I know. good one. Uh, any others that, uh, that you've been thinking of? I do think Bianca will make another slam final. I cannot, I don't know in my heart of hearts if she will win, but I think she will go pretty far. Uh, and it depends how she's feeling. I think she'll also have another big injury sideline her this year as she currently is still not feeling great with that knee. But I think she'll probably have another thing where she'll go off and then come back and blow everyone out of the water. So mm-hmm. a slam final for her and probably a master's level final for Dennis again. He made his first one last year, and I'd love to see Felix win his first title this year. And I think that will happen because I think he came like runner up in four tournaments last year. Yeah, uh, runner up uh, three times for Felix and got inside the top 20. That's certainly possible. And uh, you know what? I, I think I have the same prediction for Bianca. I see her making the French Open final this year. Well, she did say that clay's her favorite surface, right. even though she didn't get to really play on it much at all last year. Yeah. So that should be interesting to see. Um, and yeah, Christy, you probably didn't hear the first part of what you we were saying earlier, obviously, but definitely a concern of how Bianca handles her uh, second season, full season as a pro on the WTA tour and, and how she adjusts to that, which is, uh, you know, something new that she's never had to do before either. Yeah. Expectations can be really, really high and that can be hard to deal with. I think she's obviously like a street fighter as her own coach has called her, but you just never know what's going to happen with injuries and with those expectations. But I think she'll go deep in some tournaments. Well, Christy, hey, thank you so much for calling in and sharing. You're the first ever listener that we've had call in, so I don't know if that's a distinction Ooh. or not, but uh, <laughs> but there you go. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you again uh, later this season and uh, hopefully seeing you at the Rogers Cup as well in the summertime. You know I will definitely be there, and thanks so much for having me. Okay, take care. 
Okay, and uh, continuing with our caller segment, our second caller, and I know he's a long-time listener, Brian Gerstein. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for joining Matchpoint Canada, and uh, I want to know what are your thoughts uh, for the 2020 season? What are your predictions? First of all, just very excited because we're in a golden um, era and age. Like I say, the golden era of the big three. We're in a golden area of Canadian tennis right now. So my predictions are on the ladies' side, very simply, Bianca, as long as she stays injury-free, she does have a lot of points to defend in select tournaments, but overall, I think she will fight through it, get healthy. She can pick up a lot of points in her tournaments. I predict she will finish number two or three in the world Wow! Okay. by the end of the year. I was wondering yeah. if you were going to go and be as bold as say number one, but yeah, okay, two or three, <laughs> that sounds, uh, it's certainly within reach from where she is now. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what are your predictions, I guess, for the men's side then? Okay, the men's side, um, I'm personal, you know, family friends with the Milos Raonic family and all that. I dropped off a bottle of uh, grappa to their house yesterday, which we used to celebrate his victories. And I expect him to have a healthy year and to zoom up the rankings and finish in the either eighth or ninth position in the world. He's going to have a very, you know, close call whether he qualifies, you know, for the end of year top eight tournament. But I really expect Milish to stay healthy this year. He's just due a lot of good luck this year. Um, next, we'll move up to Dennis. Oh, sorry, you want to talk about Milish? Right I back? wanted to say something about Milish. I want to <laughs> yeah, say, Mike first did. of all, I'm with you on that one. If he can stay healthy, he's certainly capable of getting back into the top ten. Also, Milos happens to be one of those uh, Canadian players we've yet to have on the podcast. So maybe we got to deliver the grappa ah. to the front door, yep. right? <laughs> and that's the that's the missing link here. I never would have thought of that one. There you go. And you have your answer right now. So, yeah, I expect, I expect really good things out of Milos this year. Um, just because I think law of averages and, you know, the mean and all that. And if anyone's due a healthy year, it's Milos, as we know. Okay, so moving on next, let's talk about Dennis, the big surprise, um, you know, the way he's elevated his play, number 13 in the world. He's already, you know, at a point which is really a bit surprising to me. I did not even know that his ceiling would be this high at 13. I thought that Felix would have actually overtaken him by now, and he hasn't. So they kind of, he's regressed the other way. So Dennis, at this point, will keep his momentum going, use these, the magic, uh, you know, potion for him, and his serving, his game is just uh, top shelf, as, you know, I, I posted last night. So um, I see him, you know, comfortably resting in, you know, the six or, you know, six or seven position by the end of the year. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm with you there. We have him. Uh, I haven't pegged in my top 10 for sure. And you, you look at the strides he made last season, Masters final, getting his first title. Uh, he's, you know, brewing with confidence right now. He is. And I don't see that, you know, dipping. I think that he's not going to take a step back to go a step forward. It's going to be leveling off um, and going up at this point. So, you know, obviously, you know, to get into the, the you know, very top, you know, it's asking a little bit much of Dennis at this point. But once, you know, the, the top, uh, you know, dogs finally, you know, age catches up with them outside of Novak, I think he can make a run for it, you know, when the time comes. Now, Felix, this is um, really um, it's kind of sad for me to say, but I really think that he's got to refine his game, and he may be even a year or two away at this point. Um, I hate to be so negative on Felix, but I just haven't seen anything to really, you know, post uh, South America last year to get me excited about his game. Um, it's going to take some time, and I, I think he's got to take some steps back, maybe look at some coaching changes or do something. There's something not right with him right now, and I can't put my finger on it. But um, I am very concerned about Felix right now. Yeah, I, I think those say. are some realistic concerns, and also we keep in mind, of course, he's only 19 years old, and. Uh, right. Certainly learning the pro game. And I mean, I never had to travel the world on my own when I was 19 years old, you know, and, and be that far away from family and friends. And I think often, uh, you know, we in the, in the media and, and tennis fans kind of forget that as well. So I think that's a fair assessment, uh, Brian. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking if anyone had heard what we're talking about right now a year ago, they'd all think we were crazy as we're talking about <laughs> Bianca potentially number two or three and Dennis top 10. But but that's obviously, you know, building on our optimism from what they, they showed us a year ago. So um, right. can I can I put a word in for Vasek before? Yeah, I, I think that he deserves mention, um, not just for his patriotism and the way he raises his game for anything that he wear the flag on it, but just because his back is healthy now. And either it's going to be tough for Vasek because, you know, the seeding is not going to get, you know, wild cards necessarily outside of, you know, the Canadian kind of tournaments. It's going to be tough qualifying. It's got to go, you know, through the qualification phase, you know, to get in. But once he gets in, he'll do some damage. And I really feel he's going to get into the top 50 and, you know, make it into the Master 1000s direct draws. So, you know, that's, you know, I'm pretty bullish on Vasek this year. And we're all we're all pulling for Vashik, one of the nicest guys, not just in Canadian tennis, but on the tour at large. And uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're with you on that one. Hey, Brian, thank you. 
thank you so much. It's great after all this time of interacting through Twitter to finally get to hear your voice and talk with you. And for those who like what Brian had to say tonight, you can find him on Twitter at Raptors Devotee. And uh, thanks a lot. We look forward to uh, crossing paths again in the future. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ben. Okay. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Our next caller is uh, calling from my hometown of uh, Montreal, Quebec. So uh, happy to have Dean Theophilos on the line with us, who has uh, engaged with us several times on Twitter and uh, was actually also a winner of a couple tickets to the Rogers Cup last summer. So, Dean, thank you for taking your time to join us. Happy New Year. And what are some of your thoughts and predictions for our Canadian crew this coming year? Okay, good. So uh, no, I'm actually very, very bullish on uh, uh, Canadian tennis uh, for 2020. Um, so just to kind of keep things concise, um, starting on the uh, men's side, very, very excited about Shapovalov. I think the entire tennis world is really excited about Shapovalov and the way he's playing, the way he finished the year and the way he started the year. Um, in terms of my prediction, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that he finished in the top eight. Um, you know, I'd be in shock if he didn't. Uh, I'd like to see him in the Nito ATP Finals. I'm confident in saying that. I'd like to see him make a semifinal, the Grand Slam. Um, and then, he, and I would like to also see him win uh, a Master Series. So those are kind of very bullish on Shapovalov. Yeah, I think many people are feeling the same way right now, the way he's playing and yeah. continued his success from late 2019 into 2020. Uh, he's certainly getting close with the Masters 1000, making three finals already in his career. So, yeah, why not take it one step further and, and win one of them? Uh, what else, Dean, do you see in the uh, forecast? Um, I'm, I'm very excited about uh, Felix Auger. Um, I, you know, I, for 2020, I hope he stays healthy. I think for me... Uh, I want him to stay healthy. I, I think, you know, I, you know, I think where he is in his career, I think there's a lot of learning. He's still very young, but I think he's kind of at a little bit of a crossroads where he is in his career. And I think, um, you know, I, I think he needs to stay motivated and, um, you know, he needs to kind of focus on his tennis to make sure that, you know, I, again, I'm not probably wording this properly, but I think he's stagnating a little bit, but I, I think he has so much potential. I think he'll kind of, um, you know, get off, Get, get away from that and be able, be able to push it forward. I think he'll finish in the top 15 for sure. I'll def, I definitely think he's going to win a title of 250 or 500 this year. Um, and um, again, a lot of potential for him. I just, I just hope he stays focused. You know, I, I, I didn't like the way he finished it. And I, I haven't really liked the way he's how he started the year, but there's so much potential. He's a phenom. He's a generational player. Um, but again, focusing on 2020, I think there's a few things he needs to work on, and I hope he stays course with that. Yeah, you're, I think you're right there that he has uh, kind of stagnated the past stretch of time and sort of a slow start at the ATP Cup with a couple of losses. Uh, but we saw the highs that we did see in 2019. The, you, you mentioned the three finals. We, we haven't really seen a big result really since grass court when uh, he made a run at Stuttgart. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, he's one of the top talents, one of the most athletic players on tour. You're going to have some growing pains and hopefully he'll start to peak maybe at, at some point this year. It'll be great to see. Yeah, good. How, how about on the uh, on the women's side? Um, on the women's side, uh, okay. I'll um, again. I think I'm very excited about Bianca. I mean, I think the career, the season she had last year. I think there's there's players that only dream of having that type of, you know, you know, uh, that type of those types of accomplishments an entire career, and she did in one season. So I think everyone's extremely bullish on Bianca. Again, I hope she stays healthy. I hope she sticks to a lighter um, schedule. She doesn't need to play 20, 30 tournaments a year. You know, she's, she's too strong for that. So I, I think she will finish in the top 10. She has a lot of points to defend. Again, you know, she had a phenomenal uh, season, uh, but again, very bullish on her. And I think, I think looking at 2020, I think, you know, I think she'll stay in the top 10. But I mean, you know, Bianca, you need to look at her entire career to kind of see that she will have a phenomenal year and she'll have a phenomenal career and she'll have, um, you know, multi uh, Grand Slam uh, titles to uh, under her name. But again, very bullish on her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's certainly the hope. And, uh, you, you know, there are a lot of points for her to, to defend in spots, obviously, Indian Wells, Rogers Cup, U.S. Open. But there are a lot of spots where she can pick up yeah. points. She, she missed the whole clay court season and she didn't play grass. She didn't play Wimbledon. So if she has a healthy season, we think it's going to be a successful one. Uh, Dean, thanks so much uh, for calling in. We really appreciate it. Okay. And Dean, and Dean, go Habs go, right? 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, j- j- just a little side note. I know you guys are st- uh, just a few more mentions just on the side note, just for the sake of a conversation very quickly. Um, very excited to see what Leila and Fernandez has to, um, what has she has to offer this year. You know, I'm, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she does crack the top 100. I know we keep on talking about Coco Goff, but I think there's something special about Leila and me. Fernandez. I've seen her practice. She has a lot, a lot of talent. Right on. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, in that, yeah. that next group of young Canadians that we hope can, uh, you know, facilitate and, and reciprocate some of that, uh, or replicate rather, some of the success we've seen from the Dennis's, Felix's, and, and Bianca's. But uh, no pressure, Leila Annie. We're, uh, we're happy with what you've done by the age of 17 already. Uh, Dean, thanks right. again, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Have a good evening. Thanks, guys. Take Bye. care. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590. You can find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And a unique first episode because we actually got to hear from some of our uh, devoted listeners, uh, Christy, Brian, and Dean. And I know those three have kind of been with us from the beginning uh, and getting some interesting perspectives and also realizing that there are some hardcore Canadian tennis fans out there. They knew their stuff. Super knowledgeable, uh, super passionate, you can tell. And the excitement is just growing in our country. And why not after a season like the one we just had? I think it's a cool idea. I think it's something that we're going to, I think we both agree that it's something we're going to do more regularly this year. Uh, this will be our first full season as the Canadian uh, Tennis Canada podcast. So we, we have a little bit more room to uh, kind of grow and develop just like our tennis players that we follow. And uh, my wife have been telling me forever, like, hey, you guys got to do this. Get some of your listeners on board and engage with them. Yeah. And we do so much of it on social media. It's about time that we got them uh, on the phone line for sure. My only fear is they're, they might be more articulate than me. <laughs> they're going to steal my job. Right. <laughs> Next year, it'll be like Christy and Dean hosting exactly, uh, Matchpoint exactly. Canada. Exactly. We're going to get booted out of these chairs. Uh, but no, that was uh, fantastic uh, to finally hear from some longtime listeners uh, calling in on the show. And, uh, you know, we've, we've covered already a lot on episode one of of 2020, but uh, we got to touch on the women's side of things because action is underway three different places uh, this week for the first week of the season on the WTA. Yeah, and if we start with Auckland, not just because alphabetically, but also because Serena Williams is there and uh, won her first singles match uh, against Camila Georgie, and I thought she might get tested a little bit more there because they do have a history of some good matches, uh, specifically the quarterfinals of Wimbledon in 2018 where Georgie took the first set and really pushed Serena around. That didn't happen in this one as Serena was very businesslike in uh, pulling off the 6-3, 6-2 victory. Serena was also uh, involved in uh, doubles uh, in this draw. And with a partner that you would have thought she would have played with already at this point in her career. But oddly enough, the first time that her and Caroline Wozniacki had ever been on the same side of the net together. And it's a well-known friendship. I know those two have been kind of tight on the tour for, for years and years. Wozniacki was always trying to take the throne from Serena who held it for so long there for, you know, a stretch of basically eight years. But Caroline Wojniacki, we know this is her swan song here, her final year and Australian open, I believe is her final tournament uh, before she's calling it a career. And, you know, she's achieved so many things in the sport, still just 29 years old. Is nine that years it? She's not younger. even 30. She's not even 30 yet. She turns 30 in July. So uh, pretty surprising to see her retire at this age, uh, but she was coming off a down season, but we saw the highs. She, she finally won her first uh, Grand Slam title uh, just the previous year in 2018. The vibe I get from her is what's left for me to accomplish uh, Mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, happily married, wanting to start a family by your own admission. And and she's won the Grand Slam that we weren't sure. It didn't look like it was going to happen. And and then at the Aussie Open a couple years ago, it it did. And just one of the nice players on the tour. She's always been wonderful in press, very engaging, um, fun to banter with as well. Not just your sort of scripted, cliched answers. And funny story about her and her husband, uh, David Lee, the former NBA player, is uh, two years ago at the Rogers Cup in Toronto. uh, They hadn't yet gotten engaged, but were obviously uh, an item. And uh, they were leaving the grounds one day and getting into the player transportation, the SUV that was going to take them back to their hotel. And rather than get into the front seat, I mean, David Lee is a a tall dude. He's a a big guy, as (laughs) you can imagine, for a, a former NBA player. He crouches in and squeezes into the back seat 
and offers up the front seat to to Caroline. And even she was like, well, what are you doing? But <laughs> but he insisted. And I'm like, all right, that's, you know, that's a sign right there. It's something small, but it kind of showed me that they were pretty tight. Mm-hmm. And so really nice to see things working out for them. And we wish them all the best. But uh, I didn't realize she wasn't even 30 yet. Yeah. So that's uh, that is a bit young. But again, she's been number one in the world and she's been dealing with some health issues too the last year. So I think probably if her body's telling her, hey, it's it's time for the professional athlete part of my life to be over with, then uh, it looks like she's heading off into the sunset with uh, with a smile on her face. Yeah, absolutely. She achieved so much at the at the start of her career. She got to world number one in, in 2010. So nine years ago. So uh, while she's retiring at age 29, it still feels like she's had a fairly lengthy career. Uh, someone else who's back in action in Auckland and off to a winning start, which is really nice to see after the ups and downs, mostly downs, unfortunately, of 2019 is Canada's Jeannie Bouchard, who got the 7-5-7-5 win over a very tricky and veteran opponent in Kirsten Flipkins. Uh, was that expected? And, and what can we expect moving forward, do you think, Ben, from Jeannie in this tournament and, and this season? I'll say certainly not expected. Uh, I, I think when you're opening your season against a crafty veteran player uh, like Kirsten Flipkins and your career is kind of experiencing a, a bit of an overall here, changing your coach again. She had a, a very difficult stretch in 2019 where I think she at one point dropped 11 matches in a row. Uh, so, you know, things were certainly trending the wrong way for Jeannie Bouchard. I do remember, though, from our conversation at Rogers Cup uh, that, you know, the results were going to come later, that there was a process that she was working on tactically, changing, you know, the game style a little bit, not really necessarily the way she hits the ball, but the way she's approaching matches tactically, that she it was like she's going to have to suffer a bit to, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So this is a great result to start 2020. Uh, you know, if she just wins this one match in Auckland and that's all, I, I still think that's a positive step. For Jeannie Bouchard, I, I don't really know where to project her season because it's, it's starting outside the top 200. Uh, where does she kind of fit in the landscape of, of tennis right now? It's, it's really difficult to say. The good thing for Jeannie is because of that terrible losing streak, she's got so much opportunity to add points and to gain ground. Now that likely is going to be in smaller tournaments, perhaps in the, in the initial stages, but there's a lot of room for improvement. The, the funny thing is she gets this win in Auckland and uh, I think her second match is going to be uh, before, you know, or, or during our recording process here, she's playing Caroline Garcia of France, a player who's been struggling as well as yes. of late. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think for Jeannie, the, the funny thing is she had the success in Auckland last year, making the quarterfinals, taking eventual champion Julia Gurgis to 7-6 in the third set. So even though she's playing better here, she's probably going to see her ranking actually drop a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But then I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And I don't think what she told us at the Rogers Cup was uh, like a bunch of baloney. I think she meant it and she fully admitted that she was in a bad slump. But I think she's committed to getting back on track and, and been working hard. And she put up a funny picture a couple of weeks about, uh, ago about her average daily screen time on her phone. And it was like an hour and a half. Wow. And I got to be honest, I'm nowhere near an hour and a half. No, I'm, I'm way beyond either. that. And I think a lot of the people that give her a hard time for her social media presence and, and online usage and time spent there would probably be surprised to see that that's something that she's been working on too to cut back on. Yeah, that's that's really impressive. I think one of my goals for 2020 was get it under five, <laughs> let alone an hour and a half. Get it under five hours and we're trending in the right direction. So uh, yeah, I, I think she is still focused and, and motivated and still just 25 years old. There is time to figure this out. Uh, so nice start for her in Auckland. Uh, we also have action going on in Brisbane. Yeah, we had two other tournaments, one in Brisbane and lots and lots of upsets already, which isn't shocking for early in the season when players are finding their groove but uh, I, I wrote these ones down and I hope I didn't get this mixed up because I did it late last night as I'm getting acclimatized to watching this uh, Australian tennis swing where you're up until 1, 2 in the morning or maybe going to sleep early and then waking up early. At, at any rate, in Brisbane, I've got Sloane Stevens, Alina Svitolina, Donna Vekic, Joanna Conta, Maria Sharapova and I think Angie Kerber was there too all bowing out uh, quite early. So not the start those players would have wanted but uh, maybe they can look around and take solace in the fact that they're not the only ones that that exited early. And then in Shenzhen in uh, China, top-seeded Belinda Bencic was ousted in the opening round. Uh, very strange not to see her starting her season at the Hopman Cup. Of course, no one's starting their season at the Hopman Cup this year as it's been shelved for the time being in favor of the ATP Cup. I'm going to miss that event. I really liked watching the male-female ability to interact and play together at a tournament to start the year. It wasn't super competitive, but it did allow players to uh, test their stuff against some other solid players too. It had a fun vibe, and 
and watching Benchich and, and Roger Federer team up and, and win it a couple times was uh, was kind of cool as well. Yeah, those two had some great chemistry on the court, and it was really serving as Roger Federer's kind of key tune-up event before the Australian Open. And uh, I'm just thinking with him not at the ATP Cup, how does that bode for his chances uh, going to the Australian Open and a different scenario, as you mentioned, for Belinda Benchett. She was the top seed here in Shenzhen, so she'll probably be pretty disappointed uh, to be exiting so early with that uh, that loss. Uh, but as you mentioned, a lot of upsets early on. Arena Sabalenka lost her f- first match to the other Pliskova, Christina Pliskova. And Maria, Sh- Maria Sharapova also made a comeback here, but uh, losing her match um, to Jennifer Brady. She wasn't in Shenzhen, but she was in Brisbane so early loss for Maria Sharapova in her 2020 season. One other thing to touch on on the uh, WTA side of things this week before we wrap up is their player council has some new members this year, including Madison Keys, Donna Vekic, Sloane Stevens, and Alexander Krunik. They're joining Joe Conta, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, and Christy Ahn. Uh, Gabby Dabrowski is on there as well as uh, the representative uh, from Canada. Not that we needed to have one, but it's great to see some red and white on there too. All those members are 28 years or younger. They all seem very committed to, um, you know, progressing the women's tour. And uh, it's kind of nice to have a, a young group in there, some fresh blood. And Gabby Dabrowski has always been someone who's been quite vocal about sort of equality and equity mm-hmm. uh, on the women's professional tour. Uh, her and Vashik have spoken as well. So maybe a little ATP WTA collaboration too. There's certainly a lot of gains that have been made over the years, but still room for improvement. And and I think Gabby's a great voice to have on there. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I think that was kind of the big talking point in, in 2019. We heard so much from Vashik Pospisil uh, of getting players in the lower ranked areas more money and getting these challengers and ITFs to pay out more. But I, I didn't hear the issue brought up as much on the, on the women's side. And it is certainly a pervasive issue on, on both tours. And I'm sure Gabby Dabrowski, uh, one of several members who's going to be working to curtail and help that problem. And Gabby has some new uh, changes in store for 2020. Uh, she's ended her partnership. I shouldn't say she's ended it, but the partnership has ended between her and Julie Zhu after three successful seasons that included Grand Slam finals and uh, three consecutive appearances at the WTA Tour finals as well. Seemed like they kind of stalled and weren't able to take it any further. Yeah. And it, it didn't totally surprise me that this partnership ended. Uh, Gabby didn't reveal really any of the details when I spoke with her recently, but last year she did mention that uh, Julie Julie Zhu was going to be 31 this coming year and she wasn't sure what her goals were and just saying, uh, you know, injuries were creeping up and she had a lot of commitments in China as well that made it a little bit difficult for the two of them to schedule together at times. So I wasn't totally shocked that this one came to an end. Uh, Hopefully it was on good terms. And Gabby has shared that she will be uh, spending the first quarter of 2020 with uh, Yelena or Alona Ostapenko. Uh, The two of them have played together before. Uh, although a communication mix-up, as Gabby put it, will see her start in Adelaide with uh, Daria Jurek as her partner there, the 35-year-old veteran. Okay, noted. And Ostapenko, I know we think of her as, of course, the French Open champion, but she's had plenty of success in doubles in the past, and she's ranked right now 22nd in doubles, which is really not bad at all. She's won three WTA titles on the double circuit and even a Grand Slam mixed doubles final, actually, which which happened this past year at Wimbledon. So uh, we see how powerful a game she has at the baseline. Uh, that can be kind of effective in doubles if you can kind of hit that one-shot winner uh, very quickly. So that'll be an interesting dynamic with Gabby's presence at net. We'll see how that partnership works out. So there you have it. That's your ATP and WTA uh, WTA uh, wrap for uh, sort of midway through uh, week one here as we were happy to get back to business and uh, get back to uh, the podcast. We, we miss doing this, so we're looking forward to uh, resuming our weekly episodes, usually falling on Monday nights, Tuesday night this week. Uh, we want to thank Brian Gerstein, Christy Lee, and Dean Theophilos for joining us and uh, sharing their predictions for 2020. And before we wrap up, we've got a sort of a holdover draw from 2019. Uh, which which uh, item did we have to give away again this week, Ben? Well, we still had that uh, Garbina Muguruza signed tennis ball uh, that is still up for grabs. And, you know, Garbina hasn't been at the top of her game, you know, recently, but she's a two-time Grand Slam champion, French Open winner, Wimbledon winner, and uh, I think she has a nice 2020 in store. So uh, 
you have a chance to win a Garbinia Muguruza signed ball, that's a great opportunity. And we've drawn the name because we put this out there before Christmas, I believe. So we're drawing the name tonight, actually. Oh. Because uh, we did float this one. I forgot oh, about it, right. too. Okay. But we floated it out there before the holidays. <laughs> so I guess we got to get to who's going to win this thing. Uh, and so congratulations. The winner is Herb. Uh, that is at Herb's underscore T-O. We'll be in touch. And Tennis Canada, uh, thank you to them for providing this from the Rogers Cup last year. We'll get that ball to you, Herb. Thanks for listening. And uh, we look forward to offering many more draws and prizes in the coming season. So do check back with us and, and see what kind of swag we have for you guys. So-